Have you had a miracle in the month of July? We talked about that July was a miracle month. I felt God's that impression. Now, uh, there's only a couple of weeks. No. <laughs> it's got to happen today. <laughs> God's really on the spot, isn't he? <laughs> there have been, seriously, people that have been so kind to call in and tell me the miracles that have happened for their life today. And, and I think miracles, you know, are happening all the time around us, but we have sometimes a, a pre, you know, determined image of the miracle because sometimes it is the miracle that we're asking for is relative to just a single prayer request but you will find in life that though that prayer request you know may not have reached its miracle stage within the given time frame the master of miracles is, has been and is setting up, you know, the day for the miracle. Absolutely. The day for the miracle. Uh, you've heard the phrase with regard to the crucifixion that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Well, you know, that would have been the three longest days in the history of, of any miracle, really. It was only three days in terms of hours, but, you know, it was more like 30 years in terms of emotional trauma and delay that was taking place in their lives. And so the miracles that are of a different kind. The different kind. As we are, have been trying to calibrate our lives. Not with the suggestion that our calibration is off, but if you've been in the service, and I haven't, you know what I mean? And you're in the infantry or artillery or whatever, there's some calibrating that's got to, Go on. And the scripture says and has made reference when we started out that, that we need to do some calibrating from time to time. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Meaning, you know what I mean? Is it holding true? Is it a living faith? Is it stronger today than it was? Or has it weakened over time? Jesus said that because life, the world, you know, would have so many, you know, uh, uh, dynamics with it that, that would be against your faith. Raise the question, would I find faith when I come? Would there be a strong set of believers when I come? 
Then he moves into the he moves into what I think is probably the tribulation period, and so it isn't really relative to to the church, but shows you as things got worse. He he talked about uh, you know in that tribulation period that if he didn't shorten the days, everything would be wiped out. So some things need divine intervention. Divine intervention. And so I want to start this morning by message saved by a limp. Saved by a limp. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that for whom he foreknew, he also determined had planned to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's ultimate objective, is that you and I would be privileged and honored to do things just like his son would do it. When I read the scripture records, I'm very impressed with Jesus. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I read it and I find, you know what? He's got a goal for me, but I'm not there yet. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of power may be of God and not of, of us. There's a power struggle. Transitions of powers. Paul says, right after that, he says we are, we're hard-pressed. He's talking about the conflict. But he says we're not crushed. So then he, you know, makes mention of the victory. And in this passage of Scripture, that's what he does. He compares the conflict and then assures us of the victory. We're, we're perplexed, but not despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. He says that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That idea of the body to me has taken on a whole brand new meaning. And that is that I'm not to wait for the change of my body to try and become like Jesus. Paul is saying, in spite of the exterior, the interior is still intact. My. In spite of the exterior, (laughs) the headlines in the world in which we are presently living there's headlines that you need to read from heaven. And when the headlines begin to get through to us, it will change how we interpret what has taken place. One of the headlines that the cross 
specifically, you know, yells to us. It's finished. He's saying the battle's been fought, the victory's been won. The disciples, they not only read the headlines, but they were part of the headlines of the events that took place when Jesus was crucified. And so when he went into the grave, that headline was dominant in their lives. And then the story unfolds that all of a sudden somebody comes and begins to convey to them a fresh headline. We've seen the Lord. (laughs) No, some of them, no. But 40 days in which he began to walk about, and I'll convey to them the major headline. He lives. Because everything from the beginning to the end hinges upon the resurrection. The effectiveness, the power of the blood, the resurrection. So saved by a limp. And Romans 8.37 and all these things were more than conquerors. How are you doing in those things? Now it would be nice if everything was smooth. And sometimes I think that in modern Christianity, there's a tendency to to think that spirituality somehow grants them a magic exception from adversity. I like to think that. (laughs) God doesn't promise a life without promise, but he does promise victory in life's problems. There's a story of a man. His name is Jacob. Jacob is a chosen individual. He's a man that God has made promises to. God says, I'm going to provide for you in every issue of life. But on the other hand, this same man with all these promises, he struggles to attain those same issues through his own means. Jacob's story is a story of a man that got what he wanted, but oh, what a cost. What a cost. Jacob somehow in his life wanted to be the architect. The scripture refers to potter, but... We wouldn't understand exactly what that means in our day. So he wanted to be the architect of his life. He wouldn't be the one in in control. Seems like tension characterized most of Jacob's life. He begins life with a struggle. He's favored by his 
mother. His brother is favored by his father. Tension grows out of that. He spends the major part of his life pursuing the same things that was his, only he did it on his own. The approval of his father, the eventual heart of his wife, the benefits of material success. You know the story, how he starts out with trying to connive his brother out of his inheritance and his father's blessing. This is important. And Esau learns of this deception and threatens to kill Jacob. And so the news spreads, the mother and Jacob, and Jacob runs for his life. On the run, he tries to reboot his life. He marries, has 11 sons, accumulates significant amount of livestock. And after 20 years, he hears from God. God says, you need to go home. So Jacob, in his efforts, you know, lays out the plan, begins to return home in obedience. But now, after 20 years, he has to face his brother Esau. The same one that he cheated 20 years prior. He's not sure how he's going to be received. He doesn't know if Esau's mellowed over this time or not. And so he sends out messengers. As he gets closer, you know, to the homeland to scout things out. The report comes back. Esau's coming to meet Jacob. So all of a sudden, Esau has heard that Jacob's coming back. The report is that he's not coming alone. He's got 400 men with him. Yeah. It sounds like the, or it looks like the rift is still there. Jacob freezes in fear. And he cries out to God, let me read the prayer. See, God is, it's not that we don't pray. And Jacob said, oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I'll deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant for I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have two companies. In other words, you know, how large? He had, he had left originally with himself. That was it, just his staff and left him, you know. And now he is large enough that he has two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother. 
from the hand of Esau, I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants the sands of the sea. And so he's, he's going through all these promises of God. But the events of 20 years have passed. Now he's having to face and find out how is this restoration and restitution how is it going to take, take place? Why was he f- fearful? Well, you can come up with your reason. I can come up with mine. Probably both right. You see, if you've done things right in the past... You don't have to fear about the future. So he gets a plan. So his plan includes an amazing gifts. 500 rams, camels, goats, and donkeys, a gift of appeasement. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I will appease him with the presence that goes before me. The anger that still was boiling over in his life. He does some calculations, you know, of protection mechanisms so that he is separate from his wives and families. So when this outbreak takes place, you know, it just will be him. And so that night, there's a wrestling match that goes on, and you're familiar with it. And I want to talk to you about some areas of where wrestling takes place. Jacob had his conscience. Conscience is a built-in firewall, church. God has put a built-in firewall in every one of us. Is there for divine protection? Is there for divine direction? Is there for divine timing? It's there for insight. It is the it is the is the iPad of divine communication. You can read the word, and you should, but until it impacts that arena known as the conscience, it sometimes, you know, has... doesn't always have lasting effect. It can have immediate impact, but not lasting effect. Scripture says there's a conscience in us that it can be seared. And when that 
conscience gets seared, gets seared, it provides the person with a false sense of comfort. False sense of comfort over wrong behavior. An unhealthy outlook that causes problems. So that night, there's a wrestling with his conscience. How does, how does God awaken our dead conscience? It was interesting, I, I found out a couple of, three steps, how God awakens our dead conscience from the life story of Joseph. We can't go into all the details, but here it is in kind of a nutshell. The brothers, you remember, had sold Joseph. They painted their own picture to their father that a wild beast had killed him and life has went on seemingly unobstructed. This dead conscience, the seared conscience of these men did not begin to find a platform to be awakened until God moved in with barrenness and famine. The land, all of a sudden, you know, was not productive. I don't make this a sweeping story for everything. We're talking about the conscience. <coughs> you will see this same pattern in the life of the prodigal. Trying to awaken the dead conscience in the prodigal, you know, he expends all of his life and his living, and finally, when famine hits, the conscience begins to awaken. You can always feel compassionate, and you should, when God begins to send famines or barrenness and non-productive things into individuals' lives but never just bypass the fact that somehow God might be trying to get the attention. That dead conscience that had been making wrong decisions and could find comfort in those wrong decisions because the built-in firewall had been ignored too many times. He makes us needy, begin to feel empty. And then, pain with a purpose. Pain with a purpose. In this case, the famine facing Joseph, and then the pain of remembering the sin 
that they committed prior. As I thought about this and, you know, Jesus said that saving the soul, which is part of that country, is more important than the whole world. If you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, the health of it, the way that God has designed it, you know, you got a zero at the end of it. How God awakens conscience. Begins to get them to remember and come clean. You gotta admit it. This is not exposure to the outside world. This is inner exposure. Remember David. David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. That affliction led to repentance, which leads to a conscience that again is sensitive. And then the famine of the barrenness, the pain with purpose, and then the testing. And God works to show not anybody else but ourselves our true colors. The story goes, of course, the cup and the sack. Benjamin, you know, says you got to bring him down because you can't get any more food if you don't meet these requirements. Brings Benjamin, and now all of a sudden, he says, he's got to stay. And there, they offer themselves. Prior to this, everything they did was to save their own skin. Oh. But now God has finally got them to the place. You're not going to sacrifice. Right. You're not going to do wrong to reach a goal. Principles and priorities are awakened in it. Will they tell another lie to Jacob? What happened to him? No. Come a long ways. They offered themselves as slaves. Slaves to 
slaves in that, that hour. His life had been dominated by struggles. And so he'd find areas of wrestling. We're going to get to the miracle. He had to wrestle with his past. There was a deceptive bent in Jacob, or yes, in Jacob. He just had that bent. He just never could deal with that bent in his life. I don't know what the reasons were. He'd seen him, he'd seen it reap him a lot of benefits. Oh, yeah. A lot of benefits. But what he didn't recognize was the losses that were taking place at the same time. And this is, so this is that moment, and this, this, is, this is that time. You can't go back and change what you've done. But nor can you go forward without coming to grips with your own nature. <clears throat> Isaiah said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? We go forward with the hopes that God will turn our futures to good. Paul said this in Philippians, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize. He's not just leaving his yesterdays. Listen, church. You can't just leave your yesterdays. A lot has to do with where you're going. He said, I press towards the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 20 years of running. Full circle. Wrestled with the past. He wrestled with his conscience. Wrestled with relationship. Throughout his life, he wrestled with relationship. Relationships are difficult to maintain. They're difficult to maintain. I love what Romans 12, verse 18 says this is, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. God just loves the atmosphere of peace. He does. And if the best that you got is to agree to disagree, well then, <laughs> start someplace with it. Yep. 
wrestle with relationships, and wrestle with God. Every believer, at some point, you have struggled in moments where you're wrestling with God. God's will, your will. God's way, your way. He's finite, and we're finite, rather, and he's infinite. Try to move here to the finish thing of this because I don't have it more time. In pursuit of this blessing, Jacob was prone to make his own rules and not trust God to work things out. But that night, Karen, musicians to come, God gives Jacob a powerful gift. an undeniable awareness of his brokenness and the frailty. He left that evening with God, a broken man, but a new man. It's a gift that none of us chooses on our own. We naturally resist the admission of weakness. We live our lives under the burden and the weight of our in thinking of we're invincible or we got hurts and we hide them. It's so taxing. So Jacob has prayed, Lord, deliver me from my brother. Because it's very apparent that murder is still in the heart of Esau. So how is God going to remedy this situation? He has prayed for it. Now God can use many ways. He doesn't hardly use one way the same all the time, but Learning the principles that come from it are, are important. That night, he wrestled, and it took all night. That's how strong the will is, church. That's how strong our self will is. That's how strong doing it our way is. Trusting in our own strength. Relying on our own mechanisms. All night. And it took a supernatural, you know, touch. Finally to bring it to a conclusion. A moment that in his brokenness opens up his world to the world God promised 20 years earlier. You shall no longer be called 
Jacob. And so when he was wrestling there with him, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? God knows his name. He wasn't just asking for Jacob. He was asking for Jacob to come clean and understand that he's been a deceiver. He's been a supplanter. He's been a manipulator. The easiest thing to do is say, you're right, God. (laughs) You're right. Become broken. Become broken. Become broken, but then you become blessed. Jacob's limp did not precede God's blessing. Listen, church. Jacob's limp was God's blessing. 400 men and anger in the heart. And all of a sudden, the distance as Esau sees Jacob coming. That time and event, God didn't just break through into Jacob. He broke through into Esau. Oh, yes. A limp keeps you from boasting. Sometimes things don't run so perfect, but sometimes you need preventative prayer and not just prayers fulfilled. Yeah. A limp saved his life. Saved his life that day. God has to cripple us sometimes before we let go of our self-sufficiency and depend upon his all-sufficiency. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Did you know that Paul was a great writer? But he was an absolutely horrible preacher. Bible tells us that. Jacob learned that night that it wasn't Esau, it wasn't Laban that was his adversaries. No, he was his own adversary. The perspective that he had on life, the perspective that he had on people. Most of the time the enemy is within, not without.
Oh, hallelujah. Stand with me today. What's the message? Well, there's so many, but what kind of limp has God went ahead and arranged? What kind of limp has God designed? You see, some people never, deli- never, never deal with their, their limp. And as a result of that, they get bitter. They get bitter because of their limp. When in reality, your limp has saved you from the many Esau's. may have been in your life. Broken, but blessed. That song, I Surrender All. That would have been the theme of Jacob that night. As the night wore on and the dawn began to appear, finally, God captured the heart, the soul, and therefore captured his life. He was no longer worried about Esau and his 400 men because he was fully whole in his relationship with the Lord. Peace was reigning inside. And all of a sudden, when peace began to reign inside, what happened to the elements on the outside? Woo, church! Hallelujah! You want to get peace on the outside. begins to take place when you yield to the Prince of Peace on the inside. I know this is a little foreign to modern Christianity. Paul learned to change his attitude about life. He said, I'm not complaining about my weaknesses and my infirmities any longer. My struggles my rejects. I'm not going to complain when I've got some needs in my life. When things are distressful. Because he said, when I'm weak. Is it possible, church, that God's trying to get us to discover our own weaknesses so that we can rediscover his power. Think about it. How have we lost the power? 
and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. What is the key? I'm wondering. Is it because we're like Jacob and God has promised us the world? And we've discovered the promises and we pursued it in so much of our own strength and ideas. Rather than let the Holy Spirit fashion a brokenness in us. So we can say, I don't like me, but God does. Hallelujah. I'm not the best preacher, but I'm going to preach anyway. I'm not the best singer, but I'm going to sing anyway. I don't know all what the future holds, but I'm attached to the one who holds the future. A moment in a time when destiny changed. It changed when he changed. Then Esau changed. If you've got Esau's in your life, don't worry about Esau. Worry about you. Why? The world needs some people who are willing to wrestle to become a prince. They're tired of being Jacob. They're tired of being what they were. And now they want to become what God has planned all along. But I don't know about you, but there's been times I've just got to stay in his presence just a little longer. At the conclusion sometimes is, remember, here's what happened. Moses, Joshua, church service would get done Moses even the leader would leave the house the people they'd went ahead and went back to their tents you would look into that tent you'd have seen one man there his name was Joshua The Bible says that Joshua stayed behind. He stayed behind. That was just not to prolong things, just stay behind in front of them, but there was something that the heart of God that Joshua recognized that God was trying to convey to him and put into him. 
So he went ahead and said, I'm going to stay just a little bit longer. Stay just a little bit longer. Father, this morning, we all have limps. And sometimes we're despising our limps. Some guys, God, we're just downright mad about our limps. We're bitter with our limps. And yet it's you who have went ahead and dislocated something so that there's a total and a complete trust. I surrender. Father, as we conclude this service this morning and as we go into this week, into a world that is in chaos. Into a society that's lost its way. We don't want to just be a church that has a beautiful song to sing. Amen. Give a lot of praise this morning. Hallelujah.